Welcome to Conversations with Consequences, a weekly hour of thoughtful dialogue from the Catholic Association with the leading thinkers of our time on the most consequential issues of our day. I'm your host, Gracie Christie, joined today by my co-host, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer, also my colleague at the Catholic Association. Later on, we'll have the pleasure of being joined by Father Roger Landry, who will speak to us about uh, a book that he put out last year, a fabulous book called Plan of Life. Andrea and I are both big fans of this book. No, Gracie, it's it's a great resource that I've passed on to tons of my friends, and I keep asking for the book back. Um, I probably should give people the book instead. Well, I've lost at least (laughs) three copies that way. Those are the great, great things to lose, is a great book to pass on to someone you really love and care about. Um, But Father Landry, who's just a brilliant uh, leader in the church right now, has done a a great, um, helpful guide for all the rest of us, the riffraff, on how to organize (laughs) our interior lives. And And it's a struggle. I struggle with every single day. Um, I'm sure you don't struggle as much, Gracie, because you've got your act I together. don't have as many children. <laughs> <laughs> so just for, I should disclose, just for disclosure purposes, I have five children and Andrea has 10, which makes me a total lightweight. No, it's it, not at all. Once you're outnumbered, I think uh, you really need to throw your life into God's hands. And uh, Father Landry's book is a good reminder that we need to dedicate our life, everything that we're doing, our day to God and, and focus on that relationship with him. And doing so in a structured, organized way, using the tools that we have um, been given from the church down through the ages, as well as the tools that we can find uh, today in technology to help give ourselves a little bit more structure in our relationship with God. So me personally, I'm a cradle Catholic, and as I, as I grew up and I became an adult, I had a longing to, to have God more, my, my spiritual life be more in the center of my busy, busy life. As a professional woman, as a wife and a mother, I knew that I had to, I had to integrate my, my devotion into my daily life. I, I felt that very strongly, that there, there had to be an element of of contemplation in every single day of my life, that if I didn't establish that connection, then I would, I wouldn't, I, knew, I understood that I would not be growing properly into the person that, that God envisioned when he created me. So a couple years ago, I, find, I lost my job that I had at that time, uh, that I was taking up so many hours of my day, and I guess God inspired me to really start my plan of life. And I've since... Um, re, you know, I, I have, I'm working again full time, but I've been able to stick to it. And, and it is, it does take up time, but the time seems to multiply. It's sort of like loaves and fishes. We, we put, we put the time in and God, somehow he sends us back more time than we could ever need. Well, and it's, it's easy to think that we just don't have enough time for God. <laughs> we have, you know, our family, our jobs, our relationships, our friendships, you know, our personal development that doesn't have time for God. And I think uh, we both could say, and ever, probably many of the people listening know, the minute you let God in, everything else makes sense. Uh, and learning how to incorporate God into our daily lives in an in a organized way, moving from lukewarmness 
in our faith where it's just a matter of showing up at Mass on Sunday and maybe remembering Holy Days of Obligation to actually desiring that closeness is something that has to involve our will, our mind, and our hearts. Uh, and that's what a plan of life really is. It's, it's involving all aspects of us um, in a serious way. You know, way. The, the name of the book, Plan of Life, for this, this issue, this concept that we're talking about, Plan of Life, can be confusing. I think what it really is is a plan of day because mm. this, this approach to God, this has to be daily, and it not only has to be daily, but it has to be several times during the day, several times during the day where we stop and we, uh, we reassess and we reconnect and we say, okay, here I am in the middle of my busy day. Does God want me to be here? You know, am I doing the right thing in this, this particular moment? Should my attentions be placed elsewhere? Um, how can I make this moment redound to God's glory and not mine? Well, and the great thing about those little pauses throughout the day, uh, leading us to have God present all throughout the day, are these wonderful gifts like Mass, like confession on a frequent basis, mental prayer, uh, charity and almsgiving in our, our lives, and really offering, offering starting from the very moment that our, our eyes are opened or our senses are awakened by an alarm clock, uh, to, to basically make that commitment for God uh, and throughout the day everything directed to him serving the people around us, not excluding the people around us who need us, who are relying on us, but really serving God through them. So this wonderful book that Father Landry is going to tell us all about, um, it's, it's a book. It's in, it's in paper form. You can also get it on, um, I guess, digital. But I happen to use an app because I'm so modern. And <laughs> it's an app that my children would laugh. They will laugh when they hear this. They'll say, Mommy is not modern. Uh-uh. So I use this app called St. Jose Maria. And there is this wonderfully detailed plan of life that allows you to check it off as you go. And, and, and obviously, we're not supposed to be just checking things off. We're supposed to be doing things with so much love. We're supposed to bring all our hearts to God whenever we approach him. But it does help. It does help to to check it off. So at the end of when when we do our social media thing at the um, when we release the show, we will certainly have a link to that app for other modern people like me. Well, and and I'm going to confess that I am not only not technological but not organized. Um, but I know that at the end of the day, if I feel like I my flubs were more than what was fabulous. And I look back and think about the boxes that weren't checked. <laughs> um, the, they, they number more the ones that were. Um, and, and really, the more I am serious and focused, I've noticed a difference. The, the decisions are made um, with more confidence. The outcomes tend to be a lot more successful. Um, and really focusing on trying to, to kind of recount how my day is is guided by these um, gifts that the church is giving to us to grow in holiness. Well, it's quite a task. Um, be You'll perfect. explain to me how to download it. <laughs> <laughs> be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those words are, are certainly a challenge. It reminds me of a quote from Flannery O'Connor. She said, I hope I get this right, she said, um, I don't think I could be a saint, but I think I could be a martyr if they kill me quick. 
<laughs> and that <laughs> I think most of us aren't going to get that opportunity. I always think the martyrs you better get, work on sainthood. That's right. I always think martyrs get shortcuts, but the rest of us have to put in that that heroic um, little bit of effort every single day. And it gets heroic. It gets heroic because life interferes, and a busy home life, a busy office life, a busy social life, all good things in themselves. Uh, they do tend to keep us from the important job at hand. You know, one thing that um, there's always this mental image of these incredible people who just have their lives, spiritual lives, well put together. And I always see them looking a lot like superheroes um, that are just out there kind of saving the rest of us, picking us up, keeping us away from danger. And um, the world needs more superheroes, more spiritual superheroes out there. Um, and guiding and encouraging, and it's kind of like a contagious thing, right? It's not something limited to um, a group of religious or priests. It's for all of us. All of us are called to be, you know, superhero saints. Okay, I'm going to buy you a cape. It's going to be pink. No, have you not watched <laughs> The Incredibles? You're not supposed to wear a cape. No cape. You can wear like an awesome Miss Incredible outfit. Well, maybe I think we all deserve capes. You especially with your 10 children. You deserve a cape. Well, it's time for our first break, but we'll be back in just a few minutes. So stay with us on Conversations with Consequences on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your host, Gracie Christie. Joining me is my co-host, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer. And we have the distinct pleasure of speaking today to, with Father Roger Landry, who is a priest of the Diocese of Fall River, Massachusetts. He writes uh, all the time on uh, at his website, catholicpreaching.com. Wonderful homilies um, every Sunday. And he speaks widely on the thoughts of the popes, the current pope and uh, the two recent popes, and also on controversial issues facing the church today. Welcome to our show, Father Landry. It's great to be with you, Gracie and Andrea, and all your listeners. So Andrea and I have with us our trusty, well-thumbed copies of a book that you wrote um, a year ago. I think it came out a year ago. It's called Plan of Life, Habits to Help You Grow Closer to God. Now, Andrea and I both have written reviews of your book. We both found it very helpful, and uh, we wanted to talk about it for our listeners. To, uh, so the listeners, our listeners have the same benefits. Thanks for the opportunity to speak about it. It was a work of love that I first tried to do as a parish priest in the Diocese of Fall River, Massachusetts, working with uh, inner-city Catholics, many coming from homes in which the parents hadn't received much of a formation in the faith. And so much of what's in the book was trial-ballooned to catechetical students between the ages of 6 and uh, 16. And they kind of liked it, and their parents started to eavesdrop on the conversations. And I figured if these types of practical ways for us to grow closer to God in ordinary life were appealing to them that it would be a broader audience. And 
Um, so I, I wrote it up chapter by chapter in a series of columns for the Diocesan newspaper I used to run for the Diocese of Fall River. And then the Daughters of St. Paul approached me and asked if I wouldn't mind compiling them and working on them a little bit into a book. And out came Plan of Life. And in the last year since it was published, I've been very moved by the amount of emails that I've received and people coming up to me saying that it was very helpful to them. So we give the Lord five loaves and two fish, and he feeds the multitude, <laughs> and we just sit back and we're amazed. Father, I was I was really struck um, in the beginning of the book when I was thinking about how am I going to reassess my own plan of life, and and you wrote, the most important activity of all is prioritizing our time with the one with whom we hope to spend eternity. And, and that's a lot to think about and a lot to pray on. Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about how dedicating our time, structuring our day, our life, in building that relationship with God kind of spills over into our relationships with the people around us. So it's once not an either-or. Sure. Once once we get our ducks in the row, then we're able to be fully human as God made us in His image and likeness. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to be right with God. And a lot of the times we're so focused on important duties in life, work, family, uh, caring for the people that we know, etc., that sometimes we can forget the most important relationship of all. And when we put God in His proper place, it's not that we love our family, for example, less. We actually love them more, and we're pointing them toward the things of eternity. And so what I argue in the book is we we have to make some time each day for God. I have often, in pastoral work, when John Paul II was Pope, when Pope Benedict was Pope, when Pope Francis is Pope, to say, if you would have a chance to be able to talk to the Holy Father for 15 minutes a day to talk about your life, to get his advice on the various things that you need, to ask his prayers and his help wherever he can. Would you take that opportunity? And they all say in a heartbeat. And then I I just always respond, well, what about taking the appointment with the Pope's boss? (laughs) What about making the time for God? He's there for us, and sometimes we can not by thinking it through, but just in terms of responding to the game of whack-a-mole, which can become ordinary life, that will squeeze God in if we still have time and energy after we do all the, quote, really important things we need to do in life. And I try to argue in the book that what we have to do first is we need to center our life on God. And when we do, we start to discover that we have more time and far more order and peace with which we can go through those other things. And we can bring the love that we receive from God, be transformed by it, to our uh, being transformed by it to our family members, to our friends, even to strangers. So that's really the order in which, it's, uh, in which it happened. A friend of mine who wrote the introduction for that book, Matthew Kelly, said in one of his books that he hears all the time that people say, I'm too busy to pray. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are pretty busy today with so many things that we're doing, especially parents who, in addition to all their other tasks, are taxi drivers <laughs> for kids with even busier uh-huh. schedules. Um, he said, listen, if you're struggling to find 10 to 15 minutes to pray on a given day, just stop for one solid minute Remember that God is looking at you with love. Remember that you exist in His presence. Thank Him for the gift of life. Ask Him for what you need. Open yourself up in thanksgiving 
for what he's given and what he's preparing to give, because he says it's much harder for us to go from zero to one minute of prayer than for us to go from one to five or five to 15 or 15 to a holy hour. So that's what I tried to argue in that book, to just our whole life will change dramatically for the better when God has his proper place. Father, a couple of years ago, um, I lost my, my main job, my first, uh, the, you know, the one that, I, that takes up most of my time because I have two or three jobs. But that when I lost it, I, I had all this free time suddenly. And thankfully, I, I decided the best decision of my life is, was to um, finally put behind me all those years of saying, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to have a real life of contemplation and prayer that, that's daily and, and planned. And it's been completely transformative. I'm so sorry I waited so long. And, and you said the word transformation, and I think that that's, that's what this life, having a plan of life, offers us is, is transformation. Um, can I these just... Aren't words, yeah, mm-hmm. These aren't words for me either. I mean, I have made that same exodus from so much focus on myself and what I have to do to putting God first. My real change happened when I became a college freshman. I was going to Harvard, and I asked, you know, is there anything more important that I could be doing than talking to God? Anything more important that I could be doing than receiving God at Mass every time that I have the chance? And, you know, for the first time with real responsibility over my schedule, I started to say, no, there's nothing more important that I could be doing than making that time for God. And I wish I could say that, you know, every day I've made a holy hour, every, you know, ever since. I, my life is busy, too. But those days in which I do put God first are days in which everything else in that day is more properly integrated in terms of what God has given me, in terms of opportunities, talents, even crosses, but also it really helps me to look at others um, more reverently with the eyes with which God looks at them, because the more we spend time in God's presence, the more we become like the one we adore. Father, um, there was something you mentioned that I thought was uh, helpful for Catholics especially. I've had a chance to speak with some of uh, our Christian brothers and sisters outside of the church, and and they're very good at understanding the role of the Holy Spirit. And for, at least for me, um, the Holy Spirit was this great unknown uh, that you mentioned, and I, for a long, long time, didn't kind of realize the support that the Holy Spirit can give to me in making decisions and facing challenges and just driving everyone around without driving crazy. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about your experience of when you opened up for the Holy Spirit and how, and and when you've seen other people really kind of be docile and how that's affected their daily living. The Holy Spirit, for many of us, is the forgotten person of the Blessed Trinity. For Catholics who are not charismatic, many of us know about the Holy Spirit, but don't know him in the same way that we know God the Father, Mm -hmm. to whom we pray the Lord's Prayer, or Jesus, whom we adore in the Eucharist. And my um, real change, metamorphosis, Mm -hmm. happened at a Pentecost vigil in St. Peter's Square in 1998, 
St. John Paul II had called all the new movements inspired by the Holy Spirit after the Second Vatican Council to Rome. And it was a night mass in St. Peter's Square, so you weren't being scorched by the sun. There was so much enthusiasm. You had an image of the Holy Spirit taken from the inside of the basilica that was hanging on the outside of the basilica. And that was a time in which I was able to see the incredible manifestation of the Holy Spirit throughout the Church. And I invited the Holy Spirit to have a much more directive role in my life. That quotation about the great unknown comes from St. Josemary Ascrifa, who he said that, uh, you know, a lot of us treat him as the great unknown. Pope Benedict called him the unknown person of the Holy Spirit, and he said it was only when he was a 37-year-old priest mm. that he began to open his life up to God the Holy Spirit. And so, for me, I, I always go first back to Jesus. Jesus said something shocking in the Last Supper. He said, it's better for you that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Jesus is essentially saying, if you have to make a choice between the Holy Spirit and me, choose the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, thanks be to God, we don't have to choose between the second and the third person of the Blessed Trinity. But that's how incredible the gift of the Holy Spirit is. And, you know, when I teach people, I say the Holy Spirit helps us to pray, because we don't really know how to pray as we ought. And he helps us to pray as two sons and daughters of God. He helps us to give witness to our faith to others. Jesus says, don't worry about what you say, what you will say. The Holy Spirit will help you in that circumstance. He helps us to live our faith. The whole sort of summit of Christian morality could be said as life according to the Holy Spirit. And he helps us to really appreciate what the Church is, which he continues to guide. You know, he's the one who guides us through sacred scripture. He's the one who's inspired it from the beginning. He helps us to interpret it accurately in the midst of the Church. And so, you know, as we've entered now into the Easter season, we've got 50 days and you know, to prepare for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. I hope that you, Andrea, and Gracie, and all our listeners, myself included, can make this Pentecost the best of our life. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to work really hard on that, Father. <laughs> You've inspired me all over again to remember my forgotten uh, third person of the, of the Trinity. You know, my, um, you mentioned uh, San Jose Maria, and uh, for me, he's a guide of how to, to, to really to stay in the world, uh, fully engaged with the world, with all our duties and our responsibilities and, and, and our social life and, and our, our social connections and still strive for perfection. And I think, in general, the idea of achieving Christian perfection is not something that most Catholics uh, are concentrating on every day. And I find that that having a plan of life, and, and it's wonderful the way your book um, lays out sort of that path, a daily, a daily connection to God, a daily uh, waking up every day and starting anew, uh, striving for perfection, um, and I, I think having that kind of uh, attitude towards towards achieving perfection is really the the basic Christian uh, idea that's proposed to us as as a way of living a good Christian life. Saint John Paul II said back in two thousand and one, as we were entering into this new Christian millennium, that the time for being mediocre Catholics is over. Hmm. He says uh -huh. we have to repropose wholeheartedly the high perfection of ordinary Christian living that we're called to Christ's standard. He calls us to be holy as he is holy, to be merciful as the Father is merciful, to be perfect, which means apt or fit for who we are, and we're made in God's image and likeness, to be perfect as 
God is perfect. And God never calls us to anything that he doesn't provide the means to attain. And so God's going to give us all his help to actually become holy like he is holy, to become merciful like he is merciful, to take on Jesus' virtues. But that's the fight of every day. And for 99% of Christians, that happens in the midst of ordinary life, that right there God wants to help everyone live the way that God helped Mary in Nazareth, the way he helped Joseph in Nazareth, the way he helped so many of the apostles and saints over the course of the centuries. And so we're living at a great time to be Catholic. We've got so much of God's gifts uh, in in order to be able to live our faith well. it's uh, We've got so many blogs, we've got radio programs like your own, we've got uh, video series, we've got the Catholicism series on television, so many books. For any of us who wants to grow in faith and grow closer to God, God has really provided the means. And, you know, one of the great means we'll have a chance to explore, I hope, a little bit, is what we're doing on this Sunday with Divine Mercy Sunday and how God looks at us with compassion. He knows mm-hmm. that we're not perfect yet, that we're saints under construction, and he supplies the tools. Speaking of, of the tools, Father, um, one of the things that was very helpful for me in, in your book was that our spiritual life and our relationship with God isn't something that we can wing. Um, and it's also something that we just can't cabin, you know, cabin off for like Sunday at 1030 until noon, and then we're done with it. Um, and the, the, the basics, like you said, God's provided the tools for us to grow in that relationship, and, and it's defined as this plan of life. And I was thinking about, um, just like you said, now is not the time to be mediocre. Now is the time to kind of be professional in our faith um, and be organized and practical and serious. Um, and, and thinking about the plan of life is, is our training, right? We're running this marathon. Um, any marathon runner or person who aspires to, to do it is going to have kind of a, a plan out there on first they're going to do certain runs and whatnot. What what do you think, what would be your advice and what advice have you given to people who are really nervous about getting serious and starting out a plan of life? First thing is I, I always say, don't worry. God will do the heavy lifting. He's so happy when we go to him in our weakness and just say, I don't even know what I'm doing. Please help me. Hmm. We're already praying very well when we start there, where we're not trying to do it all on our own effort, but we're trying to cooperate with what he started doing us on the day we were baptized. Before, for most of us, we were able to collaborate consciously. God's already been at work, and so we first trust in him. And then second, we go step by step. We're not going to become a saint overnight in the same way that we're not going to become a saint by accident. It requires perseverance. It requires cooperation with what God is doing. So St. John Paul II focused on six things in his pastoral plan for the third Christian millennium, and not just doing these things, but trying to really do them well and unleash their power, to depend on God's grace, his help, to pray each day, to really put Mass in its proper place where we receive God inside and let God do the rebuilding within, that we regularly go to confession so that God can strengthen us and heal us where we need it and give us precisely the help that He knows we need and the struggles to which we often succumb, to really listen attentively to the Word of God such that we become its living commentaries, and then to share that gift of God's life with others. Those six pillars, he says, if you do those six 
as part of a training in holiness, you will really grow in your image and likeness of God and be able to seize all that God leaves us as an incredible inheritance. In my book, I go much more detailed about how to you know, keep our work in communion with God, keep family life in communion with God, um, the various techniques to be able to pray all day long, etc. But the six pillars that John Paul II gives are those that many Catholics are already doing. So it's not like necessarily inventing a entirely new program or like St. Padre Pio being struck with stigmata <laughs> or St. Simeon Stylite sitting at the top of the 30-foot treehouse as if that's what you need to do to become a Christian superhero. Nope, in the middle of the street with our desk as our altar or our stove or anything else, God can sanctify us right there if we avail ourselves of the real talents of the extraordinary gifts he makes available to us in his generosity. Oh, so true, Father, and so inspiring for us regular people on the street. Um, so it's time for our break, but we'll be back in just a few minutes. So stay with us on Conversations with Consequences on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your host, Gracie Christie, and my co-hostess is Andrea picciotti Bayer. We're speaking today with Father Roger Landry about his amazing book, Plan of Life. Welcome back, Father. Great to be back. So, Father, um, I want to make sure that our listeners understand the fact that this book is full of practical suggestions about how to integrate uh, a, a real contemplative approach to our spiritual life, not just into our life in general, but into every single day, which is, I know from personal experience, where many of us fail. We, 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 don't, we, we can't figure out how to fit God into our early morning routine and our midday routine and, and when we're you know, giving the kids a bath and getting them to bed. So I love the fact that you are, you're with us there. You understand that lives, our lives are all very busy, and, and you tell us how to put these things into their proper places day by day. I try to start with when the alarm clock goes off, and I finish with the type of prayer, short prayer that we should be making to God as we're about to go to bed, and I try to give some helpful tips based on my own sort of personal experience, um, the the advice of many saints, as well as the practical questions and uh, obstacles that many of my spiritual directees and parishioners and penitents have given me over the course of time to try to do this, so that we can, at a daily basis, unite ourselves to what God wants to be doing in us at that moment. Um, and, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest compliments that I've received is when people tell me, Father, this makes holiness conceptually simple, even if it's morally still challenging. <laughs> so I, I, that, that's my hope for the book. People can get the book easily off of Amazon. It's right there. The Daughters of St. Paul are the publishers, so you can go to paulinepress.org and, and order it as well. And I'm sure you'll be putting it up on, on your um, show page as well as the Twitter and Facebook feeds for, for the program. Well, we sure will be, and, and I can heartily recommend it, and I know Andrea can too as uh, for, for people who are already praying every day, 
but also for people as gifts. You know, you can give it to a person who you know wants to be closer to God and just doesn't quite know how to start. This is this is our this is a doorway into that beautiful life. Father, living um, a plan of life isn't just a series of, of boxes that we check, and, and you make it really clear in your book um, that it really is an act of love, right? A love to a God the Father who loves us infinitely. Um, and, and I was thinking really about it as it's a, a great act of trust in God's care over us and in his desire for us to, to reach to him, which brings up a new devotion that I've learned over the last few years, um, and, and it's tied to this upcoming uh, the Sunday after Easter, Divine Mercy Sunday, um, and really, truly living when we say, Jesus, I trust in you. And I was wondering if you could maybe explain a little bit more about Divine Mercy Sunday and about the gift that really, truly embracing God's mercy has in our life as we're walking towards him. Sure. Very happy to do that. You know, one of the greatest joys of my life is Pope Francis appointed me a missionary of mercy. We're about 630 around the world with his capacities in the sacrament of confession, but also the duty to preach on mercy. So grateful to have a chance to speak about it here. The Divine Mercy devotion goes back to the 1930s, when Jesus began to appear to this Polish nun named St. Faustina Kowalska just outside of Krakow in Poland, and revealed to her what he was hoping from the Church and the world with regard to his mercy. He knew that we knew about his saying that we have to be merciful, that we have to forgive others as we have been forgiven, etc. But for many people, that remained cold intellectual truths. And he wanted us to become as devout to him and his mercy as, for example, to Corpus Christi processions in 40 hours and Eucharistic adoration, we became grateful for him in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. And so we proposed to St. Faustina five different ways that we could grow to receive far more the gift of his mercy, which pervade sacred scripture. The first is every day at three we just stop and remember that Jesus died at 3 p.m. on Calvary to take away our sins. And to just say a little prayer of thank you or Lord have mercy at 3 p.m. every day. The second is he encouraged us to pray what he called the chaplet of divine mercy, which is kind of like the rosary, but much shorter than the rosary, in which we offer to God the Father his Son in the Eucharist, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and forgiveness of our sins and the sins of the world. Third, he asked us in a particular way to venerate him in an image by which he appeared to St. Faustina and asked her to have one of those images made. Many churches have copies of those images now with the words at Jesus' feet, I tr- Jesus, I trust in you, in which we see Jesus pointing with one hand to his open wound from which flowed the blood and water which brought us his mercy in the sacraments, and in, with his right hand blessing us with his mercy. And then the fourth and fifth we're presently preparing for. So we're now in the seventh day of a, or eighth day actually, of a nine day prayer 
to a novena of mercy in which we're lifting up to God various categories of people, including priests, for example, who very much need God's mercy and to mm-hmm. become more transparent signs of his mercy in the middle of the world. Then on Sunday, we have Divine Mercy Sunday, which Jesus asked for as the exclamation point mm-hmm. to the entire celebration of Easter. It was on Easter Sunday night, as we remember, that Jesus walked through the closed doors of the upper room, said, just as the Father sent me, and we know the Father sent Jesus as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, just as the Father sent me, so I send you. He breathed on the apostles the power of the Holy Spirit, said, those who sins you forgive are forgiven, those who sins you retain are retained. And so the real way Jesus wanted us to celebrate the end of the Easter octave is by his mercy. Hmm. Hmm. Father, the idea of mercy these days might be a little bit misunderstood in the way our, our, general, cult, our general modern culture understands mercy. I, I think that for many people, the idea of mercy basically boils down to acquiescence, acquiescence with the whatever the, the situation is that's, that's irregular or wrong, um, that God somehow sort of acquiesces in all our, all our, all our, dis, all our disorders. Uh, but this is not, that's sort of a cheap mercy, right? And, and the kind of mercy that God offers us is, is, a, is a much higher thing. Does that, does that make sense? The mercy that God offers us, we celebrated a week ago on Good Friday. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really strong, loving mercy that ble- led to his own yeah. death. You know, mercy is not indulgence. It's not sort of sprinkling holy water on sinful activity. Mm-hmm. What it really is, is it's God's ability to give us a totally second chance. But we've got to seize that opportunity to say, I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who God wants me to be. Thank you, Lord, for this chance. Help me. That's what his mercy is. It means, literally, mercy comes from the Greek word um, that, that we get the Kyrie eleison from, it means a heart for the poor, that God recognizes us in our seemingly helplessness, and he has a heart for us. His heart beats and bursts to try to lift us up as his beloved sons and daughters. And so that's what we mark with God. It, his love always takes the form of mercy, and when he calls us to love others as he has loved us, he requires us, actually, to be as merciful to them as they were to us. Pope Francis is a powerful image that I, I know, Gracie, will appeal to you very much as a doctor, that he says the human heart has both systolic and diastolic function. It's got to receive blood in, mm-hmm. and then it's got to pump blood out. But unless we're receiving God's mercy in, we can't really pump it out. And if we're not pumping it out, we can't receive it. The heart is dead. The person's dead. So that's why receiving God's mercy, becoming rich in it, and sharing it is what Jesus wants to happen in our life. And Divine Mercy Sunday is a celebration of that gift and that task. And as, as God offers us mercy, he also demands no, that, we, that we turn back to the right path. He says, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. I was and, just thinking mm-hmm. that it's, it's not that our sins are ignored, it's that there's the chance for them to be forgiven. And transformed, I call it, forgive me, the Kalmanor principle of human life, where God takes all our detritus <laughs> and changes it into fertilizer. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what we sang about at the Easter Vigil, oh, happy fault that brought us such a great Redeemer. And St. Ambrose, uh, in the 4th century, once said, you know, when we've really received God's mercy, our state, after having been forgiven, is even greater 
than the state we would have had had we never sinned. Because now we've had the experience of the prodigal son who never recognized how much his father loved him until his father ran out with his beer belly and sandals, hugged him through the greatest garment he had around it, pig um, excrement encrusted clothing, put his signet ring on his finger so that he could sign checks in the name of the father, put sandals on his feet so that he could walk freely as a son, and then killed the fatted calf, always kept for the biggest celebration. The son, when he returned home, was able to experience who the father was, and he never really knew that father before he left. And so that's what St. Ambrose says our experience will be when we ex- when we uh, open ourselves up to the depth of God's merciful love at to the extent that God wants to give it. Do I have time to give you one story of how I grew to know that Divine Mercy devotion? Yes, please. So it was the day that John Paul II proclaimed that Divine Mercy Sunday would be celebrated at the end of the Easter octave. I was a baby priest in St. Peter's Square. <laughs> you still and are. I normally would always give out Holy Communion, but that was, I thought, going to be my last time out in the square. So I decided to go sit out there after I celebrated Mass inside an empty basilica. And once I had finished my breviary, somebody came over, an Italian, and said, Padre, Po confessarmi, Father, can you hear mm-hmm. my confession? And I said, Sure. And then for the next two hours and 45 minutes in six different languages, I had penitents from all over the world who had come for Divine Mercy Sunday for the canonization of St. Faustina. And I was able to see, as only a priest can, from the inside of souls in various cultures, in various languages, from various continents, just the power of this devotion. And when the last confession finished, that's when the organ started to play as John Paul II came out. And I made a promise to the Lord, if this is what Divine Mercy does, I will spend the whole rest of my life trying to spread um, this beautiful work you're doing, Lord. And, you know, the Lord's taken it from there. On Divine Mercy Sunday, I've had so many of the biggest fish come to confession in the parishes where I've been here, and people have been away for decades. They don't even know why they're coming in, but they saw other people entering the church, and they saw the light on, and all of a sudden they show up and say, I don't know what to do. It's been 45 years or whatever else. But, you know, from, from our perspective as a priest, God works a miracle there greater than the miracle of rising, raising somebody from the dead. Father, could you remind our listeners the special um, gifts that the Church is giving for Divine Mercy Sunday, the indulgences, and um, just so so that we see that the the Church's generosity? Yeah, the Church bestows a plenary indulgence for anybody who comes and and, um, and, uh, spends that time on Divine Mercy Sunday afternoon um, praying for Divine Mercy. The typical conditions are the same, need to receive Holy Communion worthily within eight days or so, need to make a confession within eight days or so, need to be detached from our sinfulness in the past, need to pray for the intentions of the Holy Father. But, you know, like, basically, if you live Divine Mercy Sunday well, and God happens to take you on Divine Mercy Sunday, like he took John Paul II Mm. on the vigil of Divine Mercy Mm. Sunday, um, straight elevator up to heaven. Yeah, we have great confidence you're going to enter the Father's house and receive Jesus' eternal embrace. Well, and it's a great chance for people we love who haven't been able to come to confession during the Lenten season. This is another opportunity. It's a great opportunity to come back. You know, Father, this being consequen- uh, conversations with consequences, we have a lot of hope that the consequences of this conversation will be two. Number one, uh, many people will buy your book and embark on a life of contemplation and, 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 and 
an in- insistent connection with God, even in the middle of our busy lives. And, and number two, that they won't forget that Divine Mercy Sunday to come and throw themselves at the Father's feet. And we can't thank you enough, Father, for joining us uh, today and giving us all this good advice. Thank you, Father. Thank you very much, Gracie. Thank you very much, Andrea. Let's allow the consequence of God's grace to bear even greater fruit. It was such a treat, Andrea, to have Father Landry talk to us about his book and about Divine Mercy Sunday. No, he gives so much uh, energy. You know, I, I mentioned at the top of the hour his website where he publishes his homilies weekly, but it bears mentioning again, catholicpreaching.com. He is truly an amazing homilist. Uh, all of us go to, well, most of us <laughs> go to Mass and and we, uh, on Sundays, and we listen to our, our priests, and some of them are better homilists than others. And obviously we're there for the sacrament, we're there for the sacrifice of the Mass, and the homily is important, but it's not the most important thing. And I often find myself turning to Father Landry's homilies just to flesh out for myself, you know, the enormity of the readings and, and what exactly we're supposed to be thinking about exactly that day, you know, that the Church has decided for us in her wisdom, um, uh, the way she shapes sort of our liturgical year. And all those things are so, all those details are so important. So I'm really, I often listen to his homilies. You can listen to them and you can read them. So it depends how you want to approach that. But yeah, he's definitely someone that we can all all rely on. When you make a good point about um, finding the time in our day to kind of get more direction and guidance and and listening to Father Landry's homilies and other really great uh, homilists and meditations out there can be done as we're driving from one school uh, pick up to another <laughs> or from one activity to another, not not a time to waste. Uh, I think that was the other thing that I was thinking a lot about in our conversation with Father Landry. Our pr- plan of life is taking advantage of every moment, every second. There's my, not a time to waste. My husband commutes about, not a long commute. I know a lot of people listening have either have very long commutes or their husbands have long commutes or their wives um, he only has, it's about 45 or 50 minutes each way, but man, he uses his time wisely. He says his rosary. Uh, I think on the way there and on the way back, he listens to a homily. He loves Bishop Barron and it's, uh, you know, his car is like a traveling monastic cell, <laughs> <laughs> except for all the dirty, uh, you know, the wrappers and things. Oh my gosh, he's going to hear this and he's going to be so mad. <laughs> his car is actually pristine. It's clean. It's pristine. If it's not, I clean it. My van is not. Uh, but it also turns into a great catechesis opportunity, you know, driving from one place to another. I, I figured out everyone was bickering, and I was bickering with everybody. Not and you. I was. I was totally bickering. And learning uh, the value of that kind of peaceful recollection um, and, and listening to someone like Father Landry that can kind of guide helps not only me to not go crazy driving, I think I say that often, but um, really helps the little people sitting in that van along the way. You never, you never know what they pick up on, but they sure do pick up on the important things. Well, even if we don't, ma- if we don't put on a homily and, and something they can hear, just having them, as we drive, having them watch us say our rosary. Yeah. Uh, what well, a great... And inviting them in. And inviting them in. It's such a great example for them how we are able to 
you know, keep our eye on the ball, keep our spiritual eye on the ball during a busy day. Because in the end, that's what we want for our children. We want them to grow up and never disconnect from the beautiful things that we taught them when they were growing and all the ways we tried to form them and, and put them under the mantle of Our Lady. Well, I'm thinking just the, the subtitle of Father Landry's book, Plan of Life, Habits to Help You Grow Closer to God. These are habits that we have to learn, and they're habits that we can help others to learn, help our children, help our friends, and not in a, in a kind of superiority way, but in, in an invitation. This is, this is a great gift that the church gives us, and it's going to help all of our lives move a lot, a lot more joyfully. Yeah, certainly make us better moms and wives, right? Gosh, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> so this has been such a nice conversation, Andrea. I, I think it's going to have lots of great consequences well, for I, our listeners. That's my hope. If only that I learn how to put an app on my phone. Yes, at least that will be one very good consequence. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your host, Gracie Christie, joined today by my colleague, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer. Our show is produced by Jonah McKeown. Special thanks to Father Roger Landry for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast of our show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. God bless.